If you're new to Sovereign Grace, it's always hard for Sovereign Grace Church to take their seats again because they like each other, which is lovely, but it just takes a while for people to actually get their seats again. We do have some family news for you. We have an engagement in Sovereign Grace. Yes. Yes, my wife and I are fun. No, no, no. Nick Bean and India Wood are engaged. Wonderful news. Hot off the press news, you are all invited. It's just so exciting. So we could not be more thrilled for you two. Um, and I trust you know by their applause our affection for you. and We're really thrilled for you. We're also excited because today is baptisms. We are going to be celebrating um, the baptism of eight people. And so I'd be grateful if you turn in your Bibles, please, to Matthew 28. If you don't have a Bible, no dramas, don't panic. It's going to come up on the screen anyway. And when I actually start talking about it, why don't I pray and then we'll get into this message together. Lord, I do thank you for new life. I thank you that you change people's hearts. You take us from death to life, from blindness to light. You open eyes to be able to see you. And Lord, I do pray for that today. Lord, I pray for all those that are getting baptized. Lord, would, would you bless them? Would this be a wonderful celebration and reminder a sign and a seal of all that you've done in their life. And Lord, for the rest of us, as we look on, would we be also amazed? For those of us that know you as Lord and Savior, would we be reminded that this is our story as well? And for all those that don't know you as Lord and Savior, Lord, would this be an attraction to find out what has gone on in their lives so that we all may be changed? Lord, bless the preaching of the word by your grace. Amen. You know, just a few weeks ago, my family and I, we had a date night, a date, sorry, no, a family night. We do have a date night as well, but a family night. A family night, affectionately, in our house has been known as movie night. Um, in fact, just yesterday, we actually had a family night where we went out for a meal, and Liam said, was that actually a family night? And we're like, yes. And he's like, we didn't watch a movie. It's like, I know, but it's okay to not watch movies on family night. But we did watch a movie. We watched The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, one of my favorites. And as I was preparing for this message today... There was a scene in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe that, that came back to mind for me. And it's the scene when Lucy steps through the wardrobe for the first time, stepping into the magical, a wintry world of Narnia, and meets Mr. Tumnus the Fawn. Now, it's a really cool scene. Not many preachers tend to use it, but I really like it. Because here's what goes on. You know, she, she bumps into the fawn, she hears him coming, and she sees him, and she's immediately scared. He's immediately scared. He's not used to seeing a human. She's not used to seeing a man that's half fawn and half human. And he drops all his gifts, and she hides behind a lamppost, and he hides behind a tree. But eventually she steps back to see him, and, and she reaches out her hand to him. And as she reaches out her, her hand to him, he simply says, Nothing. And she says, oh, it's a hand. You shake it. At which point he says, why? At which point she says, well, I don't really know. And he grabs it and he just does this with it. <laughs> and you think, that is the most bizarre thing I've ever seen in my life. But to the fawn, he, he did not know what this was for. And the truth is, neither did Lucy. She'd probably been shaking people's hands for a long time. She'd seen her parents do it for a long time. But when it came to her understanding why she was doing it, actually she didn't know. She didn't know the purpose of the handshake and she didn't know the meaning of it. 
And I was reminded of this scene as I prepared this week's message, because if I'm honest, I think this is the way Christians, both here in Australia and so often around the world, can be with baptism. You see it, but when it comes to its purpose or its meaning and people press you on it, the honest answer for some, so many can be, well, I, I don't really know. It's just something we do. And I think for so many people, then, baptism has become no big deal. Some meaningless ceremony that you just get over and done with because that's what churches do. But we don't really understand what's really going on there. And the truth is, in the Bible, baptism is a huge deal. It's not just like an optional extra to the Christian faith. It is a ceremony of incredible value and worth. So much so that Jesus even talks about it in the Great Commission. That's how central to our faith and our mission this really is. In Matthew 28, this is what Jesus says. Verse 16 says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus is leaving his disciples. He's going to be seated at the right hand of the Father, and he instructs his disciples, listen, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go make disciples of all nations. I want you to teach them all that I've commanded you, Oh, and I want you to baptize them. It was so fundamental to the call of Jesus on the Christian life that he even mentions it in the Great Commission. And the question I want to seek to answer then today is why? Why is it so significant to Jesus? Why didn't he just say, listen, you know, go make disciples of all nations, get them to follow me, read their Bible, pray, let's move on. No, baptism was a really important deal for him. So why was it? Why was it so important? What is it about baptism that was so significant to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords that it gets a mention in the Great Commission itself? We'll have three points that we'll seek to try and answer that question, and then we're going to go ahead and baptize folk. And so here's the first question I want to answer. What is it about baptism that makes it so significant? What is it about what these folk are going to do in about 25, 30 minutes? What is it that makes that moment so significant? What's going on there? Well, here's the point. As you examine the New Testament, you examine the Gospels, here's the point. Baptism is a wonderful gift from God given to all believers as a sign and as a seal of their glorious salvation. Say that again. Baptism is a wonderful gift from God given to all believers as a sign and as a seal of their glorious salvation. Salvation. It's a gift given to us by God himself for something as a sign and a seal of our glorious salvation and what's taken place in our lives. You see, baptism and the act of getting baptized, I want to be super clear, does not save anybody. No one is getting saved or becoming a Christian in the pool. That never happens anywhere in the Bible. It certainly doesn't happen here at Sovereign Grace. No one gets saved by getting baptized. It's not like a magical water that I prayed over from 6 a.m. this morning. No, it's just water like we use at home. Nothing is taking place of a salvation worth in that pool. The Bible's clear 
That the only way to become a Christian, the only way to get saved, is to put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Done. That is the only way of salvation. See, the Bible is clear all the way through that God made us. It was God that actually made each and every one of us in the room. He designed us. He put us together in our mother's womb. And he made us so that we could find our identity and our joy and our purpose in him, to have a relationship with him. And yet each and every one of us, the Bible says, has not done that. We exchange the creator for the created. We exchange following him for enjoying everything he's given us. And that's what sin really is. Sin is just rejecting God and enjoying all that he's given us, but rejecting him. And the Bible says because of our rejection from him, we're actually cut off from him. The one who made you, the glorious King of kings and Lord of lords, who is love and grace and mercy and joy and sovereignty. The one who it says about in the Bible that at his right hand is pleasures forevermore. We have cut ourselves off from because of our sin. And we can't get back. It doesn't matter how many times you go to church, you, you can't get back. Back. It doesn't matter how many times you pray, it isn't enough to get back. It doesn't matter how much charity work you do, you can't get back by doing that. But there is one way. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. What a happy discovery that is, don't you think? God in his grace came after us on the rescue mission, greatest rescue mission ever told through the person and the work of his son. And he said it very clearly that if you put your faith in my son, if you put your faith in Jesus, it's through him we can be forgiven of our sin. Our sin can be washed clean from who we are. We can be reconciled to God to actually have a relationship with him. We get adopted into his family, not just put at the back of the queue, but actually sat round the family table as heirs with Christ. We're actually indwelt by the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, empowered for life. That's how we're able to talk to the Lord and know that he's talking to us. And the Holy Spirit is also a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. What inheritance? Well, the reality that heaven will be our home. All that is possible by one thing and one thing only. It is possible through faith in Jesus Christ alone. That's why Jesus himself says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He was the one who died on a cross as our, as our ransom bearer. And through faith in him, we may have life in his name. That's the only message of the Bible. It is the message of the Bible. But when somebody does that, when somebody actually puts their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, he then gives them a gift. Baptism. Baptism is a gift from God to everybody who believes as a sign and as a seal of their glorious salvation, of what he's done in their hearts. What do I mean by that? First of all, a sign. Well, a sign by very nature is something that points to something else, right? It points to a significance of something else. So if a gold medalist wears a gold medal around their neck, I'm sure they're very proud of it because it's a precious thing. But actually the thing they're proud of is the reality that this shows I won the race. That I'm the best person in the world at doing this right now. If I was to sport to you a diploma this morning, I'd probably be you know, pleased of the paper certificate that it is. But actually what I'd be trying to show you about is this is all the work I've done and I've passed. A wedding ring. I have a wedding ring. I don't wear it anymore because it's shrunk over the years. I have not grown. 
But this one, it was actually, it's so small, I actually get, had to get a bride's ring because I was, my nickname was Skeletor once upon a time. <laughs> but I have a wedding ring and I keep it, although I don't wear it, I keep it because it's very precious to me. And it's very precious because in the 15th of April, the year 2000, I had the privilege of marrying Emma Louise Davis, as was then. And she said yes. And we got married. And this reminds me all the time of, that I get to be the luckiest person in the world. This is precious to me. But why it's precious is because of that which it points to. The reality that I'm married. The reality that I have the joy of being married to Emma Louise Davis for the rest of my life. It's a pointer. And that's exactly how baptism works as well. Baptism is a pointer. It's a wonderful thing to actually get in the pool and experience that, but it's actually a signpost, a pointer to something else. What is it a signpost to? Well, it's a signpost of our great salvation. It's a signpost in particular to two things then. It's a signpost that we have been washed clean of all our sins, that they've been dealt with. In Acts chapter 22, verse 16 Ananias says to Saul, when Saul has put his faith in Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, Ananias says, and so now, what do, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. He understands, Ananias understands, you're saved by putting your faith in Jesus Christ alone. But Saul, in this moment, then go and illustrate it. Get in the pool. Rise and go forward and wash away your sins. It's a signpost of that. It's a signpost that that is what God has done to us through faith in Jesus Christ alone. He's forgiven us of our sins, literally washed us clean. It's also a signpost that we have been united with Christ in his death and resurrection. And this is such an important point. See, in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 to 5, this is what the word of the Lord says. It says, do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may, be given new, given to be, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. He's helping us see that, listen, baptism is a sign, a pointer to how that individual has been united with Christ in his death and in his resurrection. United with Christ then in his death, going under the water, represents how we have died with Christ. Died to the power and penalty of sins in our life. Why? Because Jesus Christ has paid it all. And it's a pointer and a signpost of that. And then when we bring somebody up out of the water, which we always do, you don't want to keep them under there for too long, otherwise they really will die and go meet with Jesus. <laughs> but when you bring them back up, it's a reminder of you have been united with Christ in his resurrection. You are now a new creation. You've been given a new life in Christ. And one day, when your eyes close in death, they will not close for long. Because one day, Jesus will return and you will be resurrected just like he was. So when they're plunged under the water, it's a sign and a reminder that you have died with Christ. And when you pull them out of the water, it's a reminder you've been raised with Christ. United with him. United with him in his death and his resurrection. Baptism is a wonderful gift, a sign to the believer 
that this is what Christ has done in your life. And it's also a seal. A seal of what Christ is doing in somebody's life. You see, baptism also seals the truth that it represents. See, we are without doubt a profoundly physical people. We all are. So when you greet people, you don't usually, particularly if you like them, just go, oh, hello. What do you do? Give them a hug or you shake their hand or you give them a kiss on the cheek. Why? Because there's something that takes place in that which actually seals the deal. I want you to know my affection and I'm going to do something about it. We do the same when we're excited. When something happens and we're celebrating, we like to give people knuckles or high fives or embrace them. Why? We want to give them a pat on the back because there's something physical that takes place in our lives where we connect. It doesn't just point to the reality that we're pleased. It seals the deal. Likewise, when our friends and our loved ones are going through trial and or difficulty, we want to put a hand on their shoulder or put our arms around them or hold their hand because we want them to know, I'm with you. I'm not just telling you I'm with you with my mouth. I'm going to hold your hand or I'm going to put my arms around you. Why? Because we're physical people. And there's something about touch and experience that seals things in our hearts. Well, guess what? God designed it that way. He made you that way. And that's why baptism is a distinctly physical thing. Because it isn't just a sign, it's a seal. As you get wet, as you go under the water, as you come up out of the water, it's an experience you remember for the rest of your life. Because God wants you to know this isn't just a sign, this is a seal. I'm doing something in your heart. I'm not just teaching you in this moment. I'm assuring you through the waters of the baptism that this is what I have done in and through your life. I've saved you by my amazing grace. You've been washed clean of all your sin. You've been united with Christ in his death and resurrection. Son and daughter, you're under, you're up. You will remember that for the rest of your life. Baptism is a wonderful gift from God given to all believers as a sign and as a seal of their glorious salvation. So number two, who should get baptized? Who should go ahead and do this? If this is so amazing and so significant that it gets mentioned in the, in the Great Commission, who should actually be going ahead and doing this? Well, quite simply, here's who. Anyone who has truly put their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. If they have put their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, then the point of Scripture and the illustration of Scripture is immediately having done that then, to enter into the house of faith, you get baptized. That's what happens. So Matthew 28, we see the Great Commission. Verse 19, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. It's the Great Commission given right off the bat. And then as you examine the book of Acts, guess what happens? There are tons of people who become Christians who put their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Guess what happens to them? They get baptized. That's how the story unfolds. So in Acts chapter 2, we see the Great Commission beginning. Uh, They were preaching literally to hundreds and hundreds of people in the square. Acts chapter 2, verse 37 through 38 says, Now when they heard this, what's this? The gospel of Jesus Christ. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And so Peter said to them, Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, 
for the forgiveness of, forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So right off the bat, he's explaining, listen, you put your faith in Jesus Christ, awesome. Let's get up the riverbank, guys. Let's get baptized in response to what Jesus has called you to do. It's a wonderful gift as a sign and a seal of what he's done in your heart. Let's go. Repent and be baptized. That's exactly what they did. Just three verses later. So those who received his word were baptized. And they were added that day about 3,000 souls. That must have been a long day for the church, don't you think? I mean, we're doing eight. 3,000. We'll be here till the middle of next week. I mean, but 3,000 people right there got saved, they got baptized, they got added to the church. Wonderful. Next chapter 8, we see the same as Philip begins to preach. It says, But when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women, even Simon himself. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. So again, you see, they put their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They go ahead and get baptized. We see the same with Peter in Cornelius' house in Acts chapter 10. Verse 44, we read, While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people? who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then the story carries on in Acts chapter 16, verses 14 to 15, and then verses 32 to 33. And then the story goes on to Romans and the letter to the Corinthians and indeed all the other letters. And the form is always the same. Repent and believe. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. Wonderful, they responded. Let's get baptized and let's start doing church together. It's the course of Scripture all the way through. You repent and you get baptized. Why? Because it's a gift given by God as a sign and a seal of what He's done in your heart. And it's a gift He wants you to take. It's not like an optional extra. You know, my friends, this is why at Sovereign Grace Church we don't baptize babies or infants. Because, put quite frankly, we don't believe that's what the Bible teaches. All the way through the New Testament, there is illustration after illustration of putting your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and then getting baptized. But there is a distinct lack of any illustrations of baptizing children or babies. It's just not there. And then you add the meaning of baptism... That actually as these people go under and they come up, it's a sign that they've been united with Christ in his death and resurrection. I.e. they are saved, they are Christians. You can't say that for a baby. You can just say we hope so. So we don't baptize babies or infants at at Sovereign Grace. We don't then go on to confirm people because confirmation actually is completely not in the Bible. But we do baptize people that put their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour. And we want to exhort you, if you've become a Christian and you've never got baptized, then get baptized. Because this is the call of God on your life. It was never meant to be an optional extra. And I'm sorry if you've lived in a family or a tradition or a church that has just had it as some optional extra. It was never designed to be like that. Just read your Bible. It's all there. So number three. 
Why then should a believer get baptized? Having learned of its significance, have it seen of its importance, why is it so important that a believer should actually get baptized? Well, number one, there's three things. Number one, I think a believer should get baptized as a humble and obedient act of worship to the Lord. I mean, I don't think we even need any of the other points. That one should be enough. He's called me to do it. Therefore, I should do it. See, my friends, we are truly and gloriously, truly, gloriously and wonderfully saved as Christians, if indeed you are a Christian. If you've put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have been wonderfully and gloriously saved. As we see in the book of Exodus, you have been saved on eagle's wings, brought out on eagle's wings, and then brought to God himself. He's forgiven you of your sin. He's redeemed you. He's reconciled you. He's adopted you into his very family. He's given you the gift of the Holy Spirit, a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance and a deposit empowering you for life. And he's assured you that heaven will be your home. And then the very first thing he says to you is you bow the knee to him and say, Lord, I'm in. I put my faith in you as my Lord and Savior. I basically make you my king and my rabbi. The first thing he looks back to you and says, okay, great, go and get baptized. That is the tone of all of New Testament scripture. So why should we do it? Well, the very first option is to understand that this is not just meant to be an optional extra to Christianity. It's not like when you buy a car and they ask you, do you want blacked out windows? It is the car. It is the faith. We get baptized because that's what he's called us to do. As we live our lives as living sacrifices, the very first thing as we open our page to my newfound faith is, okay, I need to get baptized. So the first thing we should get baptized for, I think, is as a humble and obedient act of worship to the Lord. And listen, maybe for some of you, you have been in churches that haven't taught this, or you believe something different. Well, I want to encourage you to wrestle with Scripture. And when you eventually see that this is true, get baptized. Because this isn't about sovereign grace. This is about Jesus. This is about what he has called you to do in your life. And certainly from people that I get to serve, I don't want to get you there on the last day. And when Jesus says, why didn't you get baptized? Me to to be saying, I never told them. I'm telling you. You need to wrestle with that. The first reason why I believe we should get baptized is as a humble and obedient act of worship to the Lord. It doesn't matter whether you've been a Christian five minutes or 50 years. If you've never been baptized, you need to. Number two, we get baptized as a means of experiencing a blessing. It's good news. Anyway, God calls us to do things. We've seen it all the way through the Ten Commandments in the book of Exodus. The Ten Commandments so often get a bad rep. But they are indeed a gracious path to life. It's not a father that's looking on saying, gosh, these kids just irritate me. Here's some rules. Just stop it. No, it's a father that says, okay, I've saved you. I've brought you near to myself. I love you. Listen, here's how it's going to go well for you. Don't do this and don't do this, but do do this and make sure you're doing this. You would understand then that as we walk in them, there will be blessing attached to them, right? Because we're walking in the good of all the gifts that God's given us, each and every instruction. Well, baptism is also an instruction. And so we'd be right to think that there would be a blessing attached to it, and I believe there is. Wayne Grudem says it this way. He says, Since Jesus commanded his church to baptize, Matthew 28, verse 19, 
We would expect that there would be a measure of blessing connected with baptism because all obedience to God by Christians brings God's unmerited favor with it. This obedience is specifically a water-based public act of confessing Jesus as Savior, an act which in itself brings joy and blessing to a believer. Moreover, it is a sign of the believer's death and resurrection with Christ, and it seemed fitting then that the Holy Spirit would work through such a sign to increase our faith, to increase our experiential realization of death to the power and love of sin in our lives, and to increase our experience of the power of the new resurrection life in Christ that we have as believers. Since baptism is a physical symbol of the death and resurrection of Christ and our participation in them, it should also give additional assurance of union with Christ to all believers who are present. Finally, since water baptism is an outward symbol of an inward spiritual baptism by the Holy Spirit, we may expect that the Holy Spirit will ordinarily work alongside that baptism giving to believers an increasing realization of the benefits of spiritual baptism to which it points. It's wonderful. It's not like God just says, hey, listen, I want you to get saved and then I want you to get baptized because I just like it. I like people getting wet. And what he's actually saying is, listen, you've become my child in this moment through faith in me. So here's a gift. How disappointed would you be as a parent if you... Carefully choose a gift and you give it to your kid and they go, nah, don't want it. When the father knows this is going to do you real good. That's what baptism is. It's a gift. But then when we unwrap it, what you discover is, I love this gift. Yes, because he's a faithful and kind and loving father. There is blessing attached to following Christ. There is blessing attached to baptism. We should be getting baptized in as a humble and obedient act of worship to the Lord, as a means of experiencing a blessing, and then number three, as a testimony. A testimony to God, first and foremost. All of our lives, Romans chapter, chapter 12, verse 1, it's clear that in response to all he's done for us, our lives are all about living now in worship to him as a living sacrifice to him. That's what we do. And so when we get baptized, it's a testimony to God. It's a pointer to God. It's worship to God saying, as for me, I'm with you. This is true for me. I'm with you. It's also a testimony to the church. You know, praise God, we don't live in a country where we're heavily persecuted for the faith. But I have many friends in Pakistan and in Nepal and India that are. Baptism becomes a huge deal. Because they get baptized and then their families want nothing to do with them. But it is a living illustration to them and to the church that, listen, as for me, I know this is going to have consequences, but I'm with you guys. Jesus is my life and I'm identifying with you. I still think that's true for us here in Australia. It's a time when we're saying, as for me, I'm with you guys. And it's also a testimony, I think, to the world. To people in our lives that don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, it's an opportunity for them to reveal to them, Jesus has changed my life. Let me tell you about him. Baptism is a wonderful gift from God, given to all believers as a sign and as a seal of our glorious salvation. You know, when you see it for what it is, you realize this is a moment to absolutely celebrate. What a wonderful pointer. I want a wonderful sign and seal of what Christ has done in people's lives. And today we get to baptize eight folk. How good is that?
And so if you eight folk want to make your way over to the pool, I'm going to pray for the rest of us. And then we'll enjoy this time together. Let's bow our heads, let's pray. Well, Lord, we do thank you for your word. And we do thank you for this glorious gift of baptism. And that's what it is. It is a kind, glorious gift given to us by you for our good and your glory. So, Lord, as we enjoy this moment now with these eight individuals, oh, Lord, would they know your favor on their lives? Would they know your blessing? Would this be a day that they simply never, ever forget? It's a sign and a seal of what you've done in their lives. And Lord, for the rest of us, as we look on, if we know you as Lord and Savior, Lord, would this be a reminder for us too that their story is my story? For those that don't know you as Lord and Savior, Lord, I do pray that even now through these testimonies, hearts may be quickened, that there is more, and that others in the room would choose and delight and desire to follow you as Lord and Savior. Let it be by your grace, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.